0: I'm good. I, how's how's the hurricane? Hurricane's done. It, ro- <laughs> it rocked us unlike a hurricane. It's huh? <laughs> How
1: about that? Yeah. So uh, our, so uh, so you're all you're all everything's all, all all safe and clear over there in Alabama where where you had the hurricane <laughs> in, uh, sharp, in Sharpieville. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> oh damn it! I left my bell at home.
0: <laughs> I'll <laughs> bell myself on that. Uh, yeah, no, we, we um, we're you know we're we're pretty lucky. I I live far enough inland that unless the hurricane makes landfall and starts to come like in you know in inland at a at, you know at a point from maybe Charleston to Wilmington that that we usually it's not a you know, we're not super, super affected by it. And so that was the case here. We we had some wind last night. Um, we, it rained maybe like an inch total, uh, here. Um, and we were, we, we were, uh, forecasted to get somewhere in between like an inch and three inches. Um, and there were, it was a little bit windy last night. Um, there was, uh, you know, some small branches down in our backyard and one, um, you know, one limb that had fallen down across the, a, um, a street at the entrance of my uh, neighborhood. And other than that, um, things were good. And then, but if you go, like sixty miles southeast of here it's pretty bad um and and so there are yesterday morning um then this th- this is something that I've learned about hurricanes um so those of you who are who turned into uh, weather safety talk <laughs> uh probably already know already know this uh but there's like uh tornadoes that happen um as as some of these hurricanes go by uh especially like the leading edge of the of the hurricane and so down near uh, some of our beach communities, there was like, like seven, ten, fifteen 10, uh tornadoes uh yesterday morning, and that was that was really devastating. Um and then you know, quite a bit of rain, and then we'll have some flooding, but but it you know fortunately looks like we, we were um not we were not as impacted as we were with last year's hurricane whatever, hurricane Fiona or Ivy. I can't remember which one. Uh <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, but we, I, I, we have power. I was, uh, I'm recording at, uh, at my office cause uh, usually our power here is, is good. And, and so yeah, everything's good, but I have, I got other stuff. I got another, I'm dealing with another thing that you're going to, that is really food safety talk that we're going to get into in a second that made me forget about the hurricane. Okay. Well, geez, uh, with that kind of a lead. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is one where I got, I'm going to, I'm going to run you through an evolving situation, and I'm going to do it in a way um, for our our listeners that I want I want everybody to to note a timestamp on this uh, because things things change really quickly in like illness and outbreak situations. All right, so so I timestamp this as nine oh seven a.m. on September sixth uh, Eastern time. Um, so so late last night. Um, I got an email from a, uh, uh, an extension agent who, uh, with, with the, um, uh, I will, uh, read you, I'm going to go back chronologically at 9 43 PM last night. I got a message with the subject line forward water supply, uh, from an agent who, who is one of our, one of, one of the best resources we have in the state. She's really, really key on food safety stuff. We talk quite a bit. Um, she says, please see the message below, uh, and I'm, I'm going to uh, protect the locations a little bit as I do this, but see, see the message below from our, our county ex- extension director. Any info sheets, fact sheets, resources, et cetera, to help our county members that you would be think would be helpful, please forward. Thanks. And so the message reads as this way. On Thursday, September 5th, the county school system called all students canceling school for Friday, September 6th. E. Coli was found in the water city water supply. Several youth at the local high school had been getting sick over the past few days, resulting water testing. Our um, and and here's the so there's there's item number one. Item number two is this extension center has a value-added center, so like a shared-use facility where um, folks will come in and and do um, minimal processing of food. At least that's how I understand it, but all the as these emails evolve over the, you know, um, as I tell the story, you'll see that there's probably a little more going on there than, than just like rinsing cantalopes. Um, but our value-added center and our office with a water fountain are possible outlets for this pathogen, and I so put a pin in that as well. Um, all our staff and clients, as well as food made at our site this week the quote this week, so pin in that, uh, need to be notified of this issue and supplied with a fact sheet that includes symptoms, emergency responses, and remedies. Okay, so that's 943 last night. 943 last night, Dawn, uh, just to put and in our listeners to put this um this message into context, I was watching uh three things, um, <laughs> as I as as one does. Uh I was watching uh, Lost, as I've detailed uh, in previous episodes of uh, Food Safety Talk, our new family um, uh, obsession. We're now almost finished season two. Um, I was watching on my laptop uh, weather news and reports to see if I needed to worry about a tornado uh, and hurricanes, and then I was also watching a um, a, a fabulous tennis match uh, between uh, um, Andrea, uh, uh, sorry Bianca Andrescu, who's a Canadian tennis uh, tennis player uh, in the U.S. Open, and and she won her match, and that was that was great. So I'm I'm like dealing with these things. And watching stuff. So I get this, I get this message and I think there's a few things in this message that I need to I, I, I wanna address kind of right away. So first thing is um what makes me what makes me nervous about this, and this is where I'm gonna tell a little bit of my like Walkerton story. What makes me nervous is is Walkerton, Ontario, this massive um, water system outbreak. Uh, that was uh, linked to E. coli O157 and Campylobacter jejuni back in 2000, and it was really close to the University of Guelph, and I've talked about it on previous podcasts. And it was kind of my introduction into the world of food safety, and I'm a little bit emotionally tied to that because it was a pretty like terrible, horrific outbreak. Seven deaths, two thousand people sick. I had fr- like family members of friends that were ill. It was like I don't know. It's one of these ones where um, for the most part, I can excise myself from, uh, emotional link to things. Like, uh, I, I want to know about the people and that does that, like, not only does that matter to me, that's what kind of drives me, but I'm usually removed from it a little bit. Right. And in this case, I'm like, oh man, I've, there's, you know, I've, I've got a, I got a flashback here of some information about a water system. And, and normally from a, I mean, we see boil water advisories all the time, um, and in North Carolina, I mean, across the U.S., is we, we monitor stuff for uh, barf blog and things that we're going to write about. Um, you know, we're, we're, we've got like Google alerts that pick up uh, boil, water, boil water advisories all the time. But what we don't see, and where, and in, in, you know, what what got me kind of excited last night in a nervous way, um, was we don't see things like, oh, and there are un- unconfirmed illnesses. Usually, it's like, um, you know, boil water advisory. So, um, so that's you know, that's first thing. I kind of that 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 jades what I'm what I'm thinking is like, oh, we have these unconfirmed cases, and then then there becomes the practical questions, right? So. Um what do we tell people that have been using this water is this water contaminated? Question mark. Right. Like, what is what does it mean when we have a colif- or a, an E. coli positive in a water system, um, and and how does that differ from what happens if we had a, a, a you know a generic positive in food versus a you know E. coli 0157 in food versus E. coli 0170157 or another pathogen in the water? I mean, there's a lot of un- there's a lot of uncertainty about this. Um, and and then what you know the this this county extension director and, and extension agent are like well what do we tell the people that we're using this water and and this is where I want to come back to one of the pins for the last week right which is kind of an arbitrary time frame right like we don't we don't really we don't really know how long back, if, if there is contamination, first of all, we don't know if, if, there's a pathogen, we don't know if there's contamination and we don't know how long. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, yeah.
1: I've, I've got, I've got, I've got some you questions. Got lots, well, got I got, I got at least two, I got two questions. So, and, and they're, and they're not, they're not, uh, they're rhetorical necessarily, not yeah, yeah. not necessarily questions that I want you to answer. So first of all, you said E. coli, right? Um, yes. Uh, let, let, so let's. we need to get more specific. I'm assuming this is generic E. coli, not pathogenic E. coli, right? And so it's not good to have E. coli in the water. But, but if it's not pathogenic, well, that's just an indication that there's some sort of cross-connection or some sort of problem with the water supply, not necessarily one that would result in illnesses. But certainly it's a flag. Um, the other thing that I'd like to know is how many tests... And what was the concentration of E. coli? And then the other thing is, do we have any information at all that this is connected to the sick high school kids? Because you know what, um, maybe they're just high school kids out partying for the long weekend and they're, they're just hungover, yes. right? I mean, right, who right. knows? Who? I mean, high school kids are not a terribly reliable indicator of uh, of illness, right? And so, so there's a. I mean, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly the your your radar should be up, right? You should be paying attention to what's going on, but but let's and let's not underreact but also let's not overreact right and and again it comes back to you know things that we love to talk about on the podcast like what's the what's the right communication message here that conveys all of the uncertainty right and and that and that alerts people but doesn't necessarily it's not it's not necessarily time to panic right so you're gonna okay so you need to tell people something what are you gonna tell them Right. right, and, and right. that and that's maybe less a rhetorical question, since that's the, actually the question I guess that you were being
0: asked. I was, right, right, right. Well, and, and so let me let me answer your somewhat rhetorical question a little bit with a te- with a message that I just sent you by text. Yep, which is really interesting. So, so what? Yeah, again, with protecting OPSEC and all the all the people that are involved, um, one of the things that that I you know uh, being in the food safety and crisis world here in North Carolina for a while is I've got lots of people that I can contact about these things and say, Hey, I got this message. What's going on? Do you have any more information? And sometimes people have more information. Sometimes they don't. And on this one, the people that I texted didn't have any more information. They're like, Oh, I haven't heard anything about this. And usually I'll hear about these things is, is it was the, was the message. But one of the individuals that, um, that I was in contact with, um, sent me a link to just a, you know, a public database of water system testing uh, filtered for this specific town, and and again, by the time we post this, it'll, you know, this will all be uh, evolving. So anyway, you'll you can see this, Don. Yep. Um, uh, w- to answer your question, what I what I see are um, around the last couple of days. We'll go uh, September third and two tests on September fourth. There was on September third a a quote routine original sample that has a type of RT, and I think that means residential tap. Uh, I don't know that for sure. And um, so to, you know, I'll fully be share all of my, uh, um, my issues with, with not knowing what it means. But it's some sort of uh, uh, sample. And it was in red, positive for E. coli. And in red, positive for coliform, but not enumerated, because that's really not, from from my understanding, the water water world, and water system world. Um, that's not really the the issue. The issue becomes okay if we have we have a zero tolerance for um, generic E. coli in in water, and it's you know if if the water is in a municipal system, it's got to be treated somehow. We if, if there's any indicator in water, and this is one where E. coli is a good indicator of. Other things, not like it is in food, and we've talked about that quite a bit on the podcast. But it means, like you said, let's look for more information. And so – Yeah, and I
1: I understand why you need to react to an E. coli and it's a zero tolerance. But one – but detectable E. coli that's barely over the tolerance is different than 100,000, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and and the so so the you know the answer to your second question is well uh, about enumeration I, you know right right now looks like there's not any information on that right and I would and I would assume and this is like a a, a not even optimistic I just you know knowing how we how things kind of operate and and what. Um, you know the healthcare or the health public health infrastructure that we have um, in our state. We're we're lucky. We've got really great people. I would assume that those two questions people are out trying to answer that question right now, right? Like there have been further samples out there. They're looking for enumeration. They're look they're likely looking to see, um, do you know? Let's let's run this for a bunch of pathogens. See if there's anything there. I mean, it, it's like you said. This it gives you your, your, your these initial tests give you some like indication of a of something, but what we don't know and. And, and like you said, let's not let's not underreact and let's not overreact. It, there, there's a limitation here.
1: Well, and the other thing I want to say in response to this link that you sent, um, and we should say for 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 purposes of. Um uh, what we're looking at right now, this is a snapshot in time. And so as we're looking at it right now, there are three entries uh, that have dates of September 3rd and September 4th. Uh-huh. I- I'm also looking at two entries from uh, January, February, March, April 4th, uh, of April 1st and April 3rd uh, from the same region that were also positive. And so my question is, what happened in response to these positive test results back then?
0: Right, and they right. were positive. Yeah, and one one thing I'll I'll highlight is they were positive for coliform, and they were absent. Oh, absent E. coli. Yeah, this yes. is
1: you know aside all of this stuff. This is a this is a really crappy um, uh, way to present data. This is this is not intuitive, Ben. No, this is I, this I, is a, this is a crappy crappy interface. I you know it's not done. good. I know I was trying to deal with this while I was watching this, fa- this fabulous tennis matchup. Well, well, here's the thing, so this- Ben. here's the thing, Ben, now you got four screens. I can understand. Like I am, I am, I mean, and, and so that could explain it. Right. So, so yeah. you're, you know, you're watching some tennis, you're having a beer, you're looking at two other screens and this, I hey, this- I'm, I've, I'm only on, I've got had a cup of coffee. I've had a cup of tea that I'm halfway through or, or, or a third of the way through. I'm only looking at one screen and I don't understand it. Okay. Right. right
0: yes. You're exactly. Exactly. Um, so we will we will link to this in um, you know, notes when we get this posted so so take a look at, at that um, so so but here one of the things that you know going back to that initial message one and I'm gonna um, read let me go back so I can get to the actual message um, it says um... Our value-added center uh, and our office, uh, all of our staff and clients, as well as—and this is the part I want to come back to—food made at our site, quote, this week, need to be notified on this issue. Well, I don't. This is this is again me sorting through a bunch of stuff that I might not know and making some assumptions. I don't see any test results in here that were um, in between, you know, April third and September third. And is that because? Yep. If I have two absences, an absence of E. coli and absence of coliform, I just don't put it in, right? I just expect it. And these are only anomalies. Right.
1: Or- Right. Well, yeah. yeah the other the other possibility yeah. is we've had a E. coli in this water since at least April. Exactly. And it's been continuously in this water supply in, during this time period, right?
0: And someone someone listening to this is going to go, oh my God, they're so stupid, these two. No,
1: Maybe. no. It's a, uh, <laughs> it's a stupid website. We're not stupid, okay? Right.
0: Right, right, right. But, but, so that, so, 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 like, we, we you know, somewhat arbitrarily pick a week because that seems, no, you know, normal, and maybe that's with insight that this this individual has because they know they've talked to someone who said we do routine testing every week, and there were no positives over the, you know, the, in the last week. So let's start from there, and that's that. So I'm totally good with that. Um, but at, you know, looking at it from the outside, it's like, oh, I, how do you make that? In you know, how how do you make that decision that it's that it's only a week? Um, so, so anyway, that's, that, that's where we kind of started, uh, you know, or that's, that's what happened last night. And Mm -hmm. so I went back and forth with, with a a few people and like I said, texted around and tried to figure out if anybody had heard anything. Um, we, we do quite a bit of work with our school system, Mm um, across the state. So we, we actually do it in, in a, a few different ways. One is, um, we, uh, we provide curricula for, um, high school foods classes, and work really closely with the uh, foods um, teachers and family and consumer science teachers, in uh, culinary and food and all that that good stuff. And then we also work um, as a as scientific and food safety advisors to the child nutrition system across the state in um, in, in our school system for. Uh, uh, like cafeteria food and the free and reduced lunch program, and so so I reached out to lots of people that I know from those networks, and I was like, "Hey, look, it says that there's illnesses in a school. Have you guys heard anything about this?" And and the answer back is like, "No, we haven't heard anything." So so all of a sudden, I'm at like ground zero of this, at least in my mind, right? Like like no one no one else knows what's going on. I've got this like little piece of information. So I start sort of. Um, going back to what what we were asked to do and say, okay, what kind of information can we provide for the very local um, businesses? And this is one where I want to talk to you a little bit about it because I got um, further information because I sent a bunch of questions back. All right. So some of my questions were along the lines of things that you had asked. And um, I will read questions that I said. Well, um, I I asked, how far back does this go? Do we have any idea what the counts are? Um, do we know if, if, if there's uh, if there's been any further testing done to see if there are pathogens in it? Um, and are there any confirmed cases of illness? Right? So, those are the things that I wanted to know last night. So, I get back a message saying... They do not have any answers to any of your questions. (laughs) And And it's a great message. We do not know how far back it goes. We do not know the count. We do not know if it's pathogenic. And we do not have any confirmed cases directly linked. And then in parentheses, yet. All I know is that they tested on the fourth. Results came back yesterday. Um... And then we have stuff in our kitchen down. This is you know, from our, our county extension folks. They've drained the ice machine, covered the sinks, called all the weekend room rental guests, and called all the value added kitchen users. Um, and here's the question this is so I've, I've just given you a 20 minute uh, introduction to the question of the week, Don. <laughs> I, and here's the question that I want to talk to you about. Um, I have a question and so it's kind of my question kind of uh, this, this uh, county's question. On previously prepared foods in our kitchen based on commodity type. I E baked goods that may have had a little water in them and then baked to and then baked. Two fermented foods that did have water in them and were not cooked. And in between would possibly be a vegetable that was washed in the water and then dried or frozen but not cooked or washed and then sold just as washed and cut. And then the, it was, it's very cordial. Thanks for your help. So, so, so you got all the info I have. How do you write? Here's the riddle, real question of the week. What, what do you, what do you tell, um, the, you know, these businesses that have food on the market that, um, that they've used water in this food and how do you, how do you approach that?
1: (laughs) That wasn't a rhetorical question. I have to answer this. This is a real question. Um, You know, um, that's a it's a good question. So, I think in 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 terms of risk ranking, right? I think the baked the baked foods are the lowest risk. Um, Agreed. Agreed. The fermented foods, if we had some knowledge of the fermentation process, um, those are maybe the next. You know, next level of risk, you know, the next level of risk above the, uh, the baked foods, right? Baked foods are lowest risk. Um, fermented foods, if you know something about the fermentation process that does, you know, depending on the fermentation and the acidity, et cetera, that has some level of control. Um, frozen foods, probably the next level of risk. Um, and then fresh foods, probably the, the highest level of risk. Um, but those pose a risk by themselves, even without putting them in potentially E. coli water. So, right. Um, and, I, you know, I, I yeah. guess I don't, I don't know what to say because I mean, you, and this is, this is actually really good um, uh, empathy training for our folks in public health, right? Right. <laughs> who, right. Who? Uh, what's the? What's the? What's the quote? Uh, you know, if you if you're if you're wrong, uh, you're you're too early, and if you're if you're right, you're too late. Um, in terms of telling people when to do a recall or when to take action, so I think I think the right thing to do is to te- is to tell people what you know, and unfortunately, what you know is not going to be helpful, right? But what you know is that um, we know that. Um, there's, that there was E. coli, there was potentially E. coli in the, wa- generic E. coli in the water used to wash this product. And we also have reports of illnesses and we don't know if those things are connected. Right. right? I mean, yeah. that, that's sort yeah. of the simple message, right?
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, I think you, you, uh, you, you crystallized, where Where my head is at, I had a a, a brief chat this morning um, with some of the some of my folks who who we work on this stuff across the state and and I, I kind of went through the same thing the you know things that I thought about, and this is like if this, if that, if that, right like there's a lot of ifs involved here, right so so if there's if there's no pathogens that come back right and there are no illnesses, well now what we have is a generic e coli positive test on water that was used in In different things around food, and in some cases that's okay like I mean the baked goods is a really good example. What do I worry about more? The flour right even if mm. e- right like and and so i've I've already assumed that there's some pathogens in there, and I'm taking care of that through the b- baking process with uh with the fermented stuff i'm really not super worried about. Many other pathogens other than things that are going to be acid tolerant, maybe staph aureus, but I don't, I mean, I am not super worried about that in this, you know, for kimchi. But if, if it comes back that this water has, um, you know, is, is positive for E. coli 157H7, now I'm worried about that kimchi in a different way. Um, or whatever, or kombucha or wh- whatever someone's wh- whatever someone's making. Well,
1: and, and I, again, it comes back to are you using a, a recipe, a fermentation recipe that we know uh, controls pathogens, right?
0: Right, right. That, and acid-tolerant pathogens, though, right? Like that's right. the thing that I would – yeah, yeah. Um, that I would highlight. Uh, and then, then we get into some fun stuff with washing and water. And I think that, um, if we, if we look to the produce rule and this is one where, so what I did is I loop people in that know that stuff better than me. Right. Um, cause I'll, I'm going to speculate here cause I haven't had enough time to, to digest and look it up. But I think in the produce rule, it says things like don't wash water in, don't wash produce in water that has generic E. coli in it. We can water that product, right? Like there's a whole water rule, um, situation with you know whether I'm using overhead or drip or whatever, um, and I and I can put some some E. coli in the in the system, but if when it comes to washing it, I really don't want to be washing it. So now now I've got a situation that that if I have used the water, um, that you know that that we have a, a you know uh, a, a situation where someone's going to have to make a risk management decision and maybe in, um influenced by the guidance um, that's out there for FISMA. And my guess is if if I'm a value add, if I'm using a value added uh, center for washing produce, and again, total assumption here, I'm probably not even falling under the produce rule. Like I think i'm I'm small enough that i'm that I, I don't need to do this. It's I'm just following those FSMA recommendations. Um, but here's the other like uh, uncertainty about this situation. and i'll I'll go back to these three test results. So what I have is a positive in a some some tap somewhere. Let's call it residential tap one or whatever it is, and then I've got a positive in raw water coming in. There's some treatment that happens, I assume, between raw water coming in and that that tap. But as long as residential tap number one isn't the same place that I'm washing my, um, you know, using this water with, I don't know what my risk management decision is because there's a lot of uncertainty with one test result, right? Did that E. coli get in, introduced into that tap um, three weeks ago? And 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 yes, it's coming in in raw water, but it's no longer in the system. Was it only, did it only make it into the system? Um, and, and again, this will show my naivety about water systems, but where we have uh, e. Coli closer to the raw water treatment source or further away, based on um, res- residual chlorine or whatever, right? Like, like we're, we're making a decision based on one test that may not be at the same source as where the food was um, was touching that water. And so, and 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 it really comes back to the biggest question that you asked: um, is are we talking about one E. Coli? or Are we talking about ten thousand E. Coli? Because I think that matters too in my risk decision. In my risk management decision,
1: yeah, so. yeah, and again, I'm looking back at this webpage and, and getting and getting even more even more puzzled by it, right? So what's what's routine original and why, why even test the raw water, right? If that's that's because is the raw water prior to treatment? It's my guess is it's raw waters prior to treatment.
0: So maybe you're trying to figure out, okay, do we have and 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 I'll, we'll sure. link to, yeah. we'll link to the we'll link to the Walkerton um, stuff on this because in the Walkerton inquiry, I think there were a few water experts that talked about. Um, The importance of testing raw and the importance of testing um, like raw incoming water and the importance of testing outgoing water because you adjust your treatment based on what's coming in, right? Like like you need more chlorine or less chlorine or more filtering or less filtering. Right. So, so, you, so that's why you test, right? Okay. Like that, that raw, if it's there, now it changes how you're managing it. If it's not there, well, I don't need to manage it in the same, in the same way. And there's you know limitations of water, but I think that's why. So what, what I'm expecting is right. A whole bunch of tests happen. These came back on the third, you know, this was the third, it came back last night, the four, the fourth, whatever came back yesterday. There was probably a ton more samples that either went out yesterday or going out this morning and this website that is terribly hard to look at will be further populated to help tell the story. That's why I want to make sure we're good on, like, date stamping this. Because by the time someone listens to this, there might be another 40, 40 samples. And we'll have a much clearer picture.
1: But And some more questions. So looking at this and trying to figure out patterns. So it looks like the 4 one there was a routine original. And then two days later, there's a raw water test. Here... Nine three twenty nineteen. There's a routine original. Nine four. There's a raw water test. So does a, does a positive routine original trigger a raw water test? Could could right? be maybe that yep. would be good to know. And then the other thing is over in the far right um, for the routine original. There's a nine one twenty nineteen and a nine thirty twenty nineteen. So what does nine thirty twenty nineteen? Because that's in the future, right? What does that even mean? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't know, Don. Um.
0: So, yeah, yeah it's uh, and, and yeah, and somewhere when I was like noodling along around on this, yeah, last night there were other things that I could see. Like, what was the? Maybe this wasn't raw. Maybe it was on the routine original. No, somewhere I saw like, oh yeah, there. No, here it is. Okay, so let me give you the click on root, the routine original uh, one with the positive E. coli. And then it gives you some TCR yeah. field results. Right?
1: Yeah, I, I did that. Yeah, I did that earlier, and it, it just says free chlorine, free free f- field free, free. chlorine zero point two.
0: Right. Sure. So what does that What does that mean? Right. Well,
1: zero uh, point two ppm. I'm guessing.
0: What's is that, what, but is that what's, is but that what's,
1: bad? what's field, field free? free. Yeah. I know, so I know, I know what residual, I know what total residual, I know all of this from teaching the sanitation chapter at better right. process school. Right. I know all of those things. One of the things that we teach is not field free chlorine. Yep. Uh, what is even is that? I, home, yeah.
0: Our, um, so, so, so oh. here's, here's what we, here's where we're at. Um, Field free chlorine. I don't even see it. Uh, CDC. Yeah, they don't. Maybe that's the free. Maybe that means from the field, like on the, not. You know, there's total, and then there's free. Anyway, I don't know. Um. So here, here's what we what we've kind of done. Um. I, I looped in the school folks and let them know that this is happening, and said, "Hey, if you hear anything about illnesses, let me know." Um, I talked to some folks in in my food safety nerd network, and and they're doing some digging uh, on this. Uh, I heard back from one of them this morning who said, "Hey, um, I've now heard from two unconfirmed uh, spots, two different unconfirmed spots that there are illnesses associated with this." What you know? Again, I go back to to some, uh, some, something that you said that I thought about too. Is um, so, are we, whether whether high school kids are a good indicator of, of illness or not? not as is, is questionable but are we in a situation where it was like hey my you know my dad works at the water uh, treatment plant and the you know they're testing the water today and and that information then translates to two or three kids going oh man I feel bad I, I, you know what I'm <laughs> sick right right or or are we wh- what's the directionality of this right are these illnesses that popped up um and it's and and, and, and yeah what what came first on this one I don't know Um, but, but essentially what, you know, so that, that's, I, I've shared that stuff. I, I, um, answered a little bit about, um, the high risk to low risk foods that I, that I mentioned, um, and, and said, you know, these, this becomes a risk management decision. And if I was in a situation where I knew that there was a, like if, if I'm defining my input water, as uh, something in my process flow that I don't worry about, and then all of a sudden I have some indication that something has changed about that water, now I worry about it, and I don't have any, any process controls in place or anything to manage anything that might have been added to that water afterwards, and now I've got this information, I think I'm being super cautious. And I'm, I may not, I'm not required to do any sort of market withdrawal, but if anything that I've got on hand, I don't think I'm selling right now um when it comes to the washed stuff maybe the fermented stuff uh and
1: and 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 probably the frozen and uh and and dried stuff but this has economic consequences if this is fresh produce these are perishable products right if you if you wait until you know more honestly you might as well just throw it in the trash because right. because by the time you know more definitively it's um head. it's not going to be saleable so yeah yeah and and
0: now this and you know coming back just placing this all into that that big picture, this is an economic impact. And yeah, I may have insurance on when I do a recall, but what if I would just make a good risk management decision? Or what if I make a cautious, maybe good's not even the right yeah. right term here? What if I make a cautious risk management decision? Can I call my insurance company and say, Hey, my water might be contaminated? I just don't know. We have a positive E. coli. Are they going to is my, is my insurance cover coverage going to cover that? Or am I just eating this? And, and, yeah. and here, like a terrible situation is, is the time of the year that we're at, which is, you know, close to the end of our growing season. Um, there's, you know, what, what if, what if the last week is when I processed 70% of what I'm going to do in the year and maybe I use, and I, and I use this water that, that I don't know much about right now. Uh, how do I make that decision? Oh.
1: Yeah, well, and I think, I think you nailed it, right? You're, the, the, you, you, maybe you make a cautious risk management decision. Um, and unfortunately, you're not going to know until later whether it was a good risk management decision, right? Because because I, if, it, if, it, if there is an outbreak and there is risk, then dumping it is a good risk management decision. Um, if there's not, and if this is just a false alarm, um, that's a bad risk management decision. But you never know until after the fact.
0: Yeah. And what do you do? So yeah, I mean, so that that's your internal decision making, right? right? That's stuff I got on, on hand. If I'm uh, if I'm if I've sold this product. Which I would assume someone sold something in the last week that's been processed with water that we're, that, that is in our you know, gray zone here of not knowing much about. What do I do now? Do I do anything today? Do I say, hey, look, um, yeah, this, do I let my customers do, know?
1: Well, do you even have a way to let your customers know?
0: Do I even, Exactly. Do I sell it at the farmer's market and I don't have a way to let them know? Do, yeah, Absolutely. So, I, this this situation as we're talking about it. Well,
1: and, and what about what about if you if you still have fresh produce on hand? Um, can what about if you were to rewash that with water with chlorine in it? Right. That that you know honestly, that's a that pretty that's a pretty good decision depending upon the type of produce and whether it can stand it. Right. So yep. so yep. get some water, you know, dose it up with some pretty high levels of chlorine, and then wash it. I mean that 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 may be the best. Precaution, right?
0: Well, and let, me, then, let me throw yeah. well. Anyways. Let me throw something else at
1: you.
0: Yeah. Like, now that we're we're just spitballing here, I, we just made an assumption uh, as we talked through this, and I have right from the start when I saw, oh, this might have been washed in water. What if I washed it in water, but I'd already added additional chlorine
1: at at the at the the place where the water might be contaminated? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right.
0: Right. right. Like so. So, which you is know, maybe honestly
1: my- not a not a bad general precaution anyway or what if you what if you didn't use uh, chlorine what if you used uh, peroxyacetic acid or, right. or something else yeah. right
0: yeah 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 and 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 i would say that that you know with my um, ancient historic uh, um, experience in in fresh produce and tomatoes and washing. That was that was exactly what was happening. People were using municipal water, but they were also adding additional, um, uh, you know, water sanitizers. Not not again. And this is you know we get down another path. Not to sanitize the product, but to make sure that if anything was coming in on the product, that it wasn't going to then cross contaminate elsewhere and not relying on the. You know point to field free chlorine uh, to to kill whatever was in there so so now we now we have been a whole other situation right so what do I tell people who might have been adding uh, chlorine and I think what I tell them is well as long as you have um, you know how much chlorine you're adding and you were, you were monitoring that somehow and you were making that water um, uh, safer and and you've got documentation then I would go ahead and, and, and sell that product and not do, not worry about anything this is why you did it um, huh. Uh this reminds me a so, little bit of a,
1: so yeah. i did i did do a little bit of googling, and we will link to an EPA PDF that gives the definition for um, f- residual field free chlorine okay um, so uh, it is the amount of free chlorine residual found in the water after the disinfectant has been applied so so basically free residual chlorine is the uh-huh. same thing as residual field-free chlorine. Why there's not it God. field in there? I don't know. But anyway, we'll, we'll link to the EPA okay. document. <clears throat> so that's actually kind of useful, right? Because, yeah. Well, and like, I was, oh, I, yeah. And before I found yeah. this, I had kind of figured out that it's, it's probably free residual chlorine is what they're talking about. But anyway, yeah. So that... Well, and so
0: there's some interesting thing, right? So now I've yep. got a residual chlorine of 0.02. and let's say that's part, part parts per million, because that's what, or point zero point two, because that's what I think it would be. Um, and I've got E. coli and coliform positives in that uh, in that sample. Ooh, right? Like I wouldn't expect that. Yeah. Um, so 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 maybe this that helps us uh, guess that um, it's more than one or, or not? I don't know. I don't know.
1: Nah, um, I, I don't know. I yeah, it's the, there's just so many questions.
0: Uh, there are. Um, so this reminds me of um, the story you told on the on the podcast, and and I think I've been you you told this in talks um, in the past as well, but about. Um, Answering a question about whether someone can sell peanut butter or chocolate candies around around uh Valentine's, <laughs> Valentine's Day. Day. <laughs> right, right. Yep. Like it's a very it's it's similar, but but in that situation. So this is what I don't know about the value added question is um, do we have, you know, some shelf stable stuff that might also have water in it and can and, and or is it all produce? And like you said, that by the time we have answers to this, that's the you know, it's not gonna be saleable anyway. Uh Anyway, so that's what our there's there's uh, forty minutes of food safety talk, um, but literally when uh, when I when when I got this message last night, I thought, oh, I know what we're talking about tomorrow <laughs> on the podcast. Yes, I was like, because it's this is the, like this is real life risk management decision. Absolutely right, right. And and is there what you know for someone who's just a um, just a, just wants to eat food, right?
1: <laughs> just leave me alone. To,
0: like, and just, eat my food. Just let me eat my food. Um, the the decisions that go into whether you're allowed to eat your food or not, and all the people that have a, uh, a hand in that decision making, when when you sit close to it, like we do, it is kind of fascinating to think about it, right? Like like uh, my my recommendation which is built on a whole bunch of assumptions and ifs and not knowing a whole lot of stuff right now could lead to someone saying you know what i'm going to eat um you know $10,000 worth of uh <laughs> eat like you know <laughs> proverbially eat uh $10,000 worth of products here and not put it on the market and there goes my there goes my profit for the year or whatever right like that's this is it's heavy it's heavy yeah. stuff yeah um and and people this is like this is why I like doing what we do much better than I don't think <laughs> if I could do this like. There are people that we know that literally do this every day with, yep. with stuff that they're making in, in food processing plants and food companies. Um, and this is, uh, this is stressful.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, just, it's stressful enough for me when I'm doing a consulting gig for a client. Um, and I, and I really, what I, I try to like convince, I try to imagine that, you know, that, <laughs> that Nikki Paris or Jenny Scott is reading my report or, yeah. you know, uh, um, uh, what's the what's the guy for FSIS before he retired? And Dan Engeljohn is reading my report, um, uh, you know, and and trying to write it in such a way that um, you know it, it's compelling to them. Um, and if I can't convince myself that it's that it's okay, then I just tell that to the client. Right. And I say, look, right. I can't, I cannot, I cannot prove to my own satisfaction that this is okay. Right. And I try to not use words like safe. Right. I, I try to use like risk and, you know, the risk doesn't increase or, you know, whatever. So, um, but yeah, it's, that's, that's stressful enough, but imagine trying to, and this is, this is even more like there's just, there's just no information here. I mean, there's, there's just enough information here to make you worried right. and not enough to help you solve the problem.
0: Well, and and this is this is the part that I have to remind myself about, and I and as I've relayed some of this stuff in texts and in um, you know talking to to my group this morning about it, I'm like, look, I know that I am emotionally too close to this because of. This Walkerton situation. Yep that that is twenty years ago, but but just being through that and and, and so I, I you guys need to check me on this. Like I I recognize that my decision making on this may not be as good or as clear, and I and I'm more about like saying that out loud to to remind myself. Um, about it because you're, you're exactly right. It's, you don't want to, you don't want to underreact. You want to overreact. And it's, and it's easy to overreact when there's all these uncertainties, right? Like you can jump to lots of conclusions of, yeah, but if this comes through and this comes through and this comes through and we knew something about it today, then we, you know, people might get sick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, yeah. so so you want to uh, you want to de stress by uh, doing some listener feedback? Shit, damn, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll uh, we'll go from the uh, bottom of the pile. Uh, that's uh, f- uh, first in, first out. Um, <laughs> we're not even gonna we're not even gonna talk about whether that is anything to do with the stack. Okay, we're, I'm pop, we're I'm stack, stack stack. stack ag- no, no, we're stack agnostic <laughs> on this. Um, so, so this one is all the way from the bottom. This is back from uh, almost almost a month ago, um, uh, and this is uh, from uh, a listener uh, Deep Whiskey, um, who, cite, who cites who uh, cites. This is, who says, uh, this is fodder for the fake whiskey talk section of your podcast. Um, and he, there's a couple of uh, articles here, uh, both uh, from the UK. Um, the first one, the headline is third of rare Scotch whiskeys <laughs> tested found to be fake. Uh, and then the second one uh, says, uh, Glasgow scientists develop artificial tongue to tackle fake whiskey. So Ben, what are you, what are your thoughts? I thought these were really fascinating. So
0: this is the part <laughs> of the world where, um, where I don't know enough about the analytics, but I'm, I'm going to read from the first, the third of rare Scotch whiskeys tested, found to be fake uh, article. Um, the tests were conducted at the East Kilbride uh, Scottish University's Environmental Research Center, and they used advanced radiocarbon dating techniques to reach its conclusions. So, so what, it was, I, I, what it was telling us is really about how old the whiskeys are, not if it's fake whiskey. I, feel, I still think it's whiskey.
1: Just, <laughs> well, right. It's well, yeah. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not like um, some alcohol, some ethanol, and some chemicals and some brown color, right? It, right. It's right. just. It's just whiskey that's pretending to be better than it is, or something. It's newer whiskey. Yeah. yeah.
0: And and in some cases, uh, y- sometimes you want a newer. You want a newer whiskey. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. So I guess the. But I wonder how much. Uh, um, you know, how, how reliable this is. Uh, but, but it was 21 out of 55 bottles of rare scotch. So the, I wanted to know is a third of rare scotch whiskeys. Yes. A third of the 55 that were tested, not a third of all uh, of, uh, rare scotch whiskeys. Uh, and, a, a, I think an artificial tongue is the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> it tasted the difference with greater than 99% accuracy. I can tell the difference between whiskeys aged for 12, 15, and eighteen years. So, so these two things are uh, they're linked. Uh, you know, we've got the we got a fake tongue and we've got uh, old whiskeys.
1: There you go. So yeah, and uh, and this is uh, and this is reminding me of something which I just I just now found, which is actually relevant to what's going on for me next week. So there is, I think we have talked about this on the podcast. Um, there is an article. Uh, from Journal of Food Science entitled Bourbon and Rye Whiskies Are Legally Distinct but Are Not Discriminated by Sensory Descriptive Analysis. And the reason why, well, so number one, this came across my, my, my desk, I think, because maybe somebody tweeted it at me. Um, but also, the senior author on this is a scientist at UC Davis uh, called Hildegard Heyman, yes. uh, who, uh, who is coming to visit Rutgers next week. And so I'm going to have dinner with her and, uh, and, and our sensory scientist, Bev Tepper. So I'm looking forward to this. Cool, cool, cool.
0: Awesome. All right. Next, next one in uh, in feedback was uh, related to another incident that I was talked about here on the podcast, uh, and so uh, this comes from uh, Deep Powder. Um, and deep powder says, uh, hi, I was listening. Hi guys. I was listening to the latest episode this morning. I thought it would offer uh, my experience with foreign objects. Glass is a tough one for x-ray, especially small pieces. Cause it's not all that dense and very small pieces can cause injury. A lot of people think that harder sharp objects below seven millimeters are not a hazard. However, the FDA compliance guide 55, points out that smaller objects can be hazardous to certain groups, infants and the elderly and surgical patients to try and understand what sizes could be hazardous below seven millimeters. There's not much data. The only reference I'm aware of is a 1998 paper by Alan Olson in regulatory toxicology and pharmacology, um, and table one shows that glass down to one millimeter can be a hazard. And uh, so that was from, uh, from D-Powder, and thank you, D-Powder, for this. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of an update uh, and all of our listeners after we talked about um, the situation where... Uh, uh, someone had lost a piece of their watch into uh, a bunch of dry foods that were and going to go to uh, food pantries and food bags, um, and we went down this path of trying to find a place to X-ray it. We did not; we um, were not able to do so. Uh, well, it's not entirely true. We were able to do so, but it was just very uh, cost prohibitive. Um, so the amount of money that it would have cost to X-ray it all um, was more than what it was to repurchase all of of the food, um, which is you know something that you and I had talked about in the, in the episode. So, um, so we didn't, uh, we didn't go down that, that path, but thanks for this. And that is exactly, this is exactly why, um, I, I was, you know, on high alert when it came to glass, uh, was because of this, uh, this table four.
1: Cool and so yeah so and we'll we will link to uh, CPG section five 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 point four two five as well as the article uh, by uh, Alan R Olson from Regulatory Toxicology and Pharmacology. That's you know I had never I had never thought about like, I always my thought always with this stuff is well wh- where does this get published right 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 uh, and it's not toxicology and it's not pharmacology but but that's as good a fit as any right um, so it, I guess it does it does make it does make sense so. It's good it's good to know that there's some peer-reviewed science out there on this.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And uh and and it's you know, when we're making decisions like these helping with risk management decisions, it's it's much nicer to be able to uh do so with some w- uh, with something peer-reviewed as opposed to a gut feeling. Uh mm-hmm. All right. Next, uh, next little bit of push up was from, or push <laughs> uh, n- follow up, follow up. <laughs> is about sensor push. Uh, and, uh, it, it is about temperature monitoring and it came from, uh, um, somebody follows us on Twitter, Alan at Alan Miller at, uh, at Alan underscore Miller. Um, and so he tweeted out, us for temperature, humidity, history, check out sensor push, Bluetooth to multiple phones or Wi-Fi gateway. Devices hold about 30 days of data, and the app can alert for out of range. Uh, mine in the fridge has lasted for more than six months on a $3 battery. And these are – you can get them on Amazon. We'll link to um, – there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, they're like 50 bucks uh, on Amazon. And it looks like a pretty cool little, little unit that would
1: be um, – Really useful to have in my home fridge. Cool, yeah. And so I'm, I'm finding, uh, yeah. So send, send me a link yep. if you can. I'm, I, am we are on, I'm on the sender, sensor push. We'll link to the sensor push website because it looks like they have a lot of these kinds of products. Um, uh, and they look, they look really nice. It's nice industrial design. Um, so, but let's, uh, yeah, l- link to the, cause I, I can't find the specific one that, 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 uh, Alan underscore, uh, Miller is, uh, is mentioning. So
0: I got it. I got it. It is, I will read. It's always fun to, to read from it. Yeah. Read, read from stuff on this. It is, uh, um, uh, it is flexible. Uh, add a sensor push G1 gateway uh, for data and alerts via the internet. So I think that's what um, what Alan was mentioning. It's got powerful range Use for use all around the house, up to 325 uh, feet. Uh, designed with you in mind, Don. It's beautifully designed apps for Apple, iOS, and Android make <laughs> monitoring easy. <laughs> Uh, Easy and beautiful, Ben. Easy and and beautiful. beautiful. It's accurate because, and you know, I've never, I've really never done a deep dive on this, but it's Swiss made. And you know, uh, things that the Swiss make when it comes to uh, temperatures and time, they're they're the top. Uh, It's a Swiss made sensing component, provides reliable and accurate measurements. Uh, Set it and forget it. Uh, Pushes readings to devices via Bluetooth 4.0 and alerts you if there's a problem. Um, And it is uh, developed and supported in the USA, uh,
1: according to uh, Mm. the sensor push spot. um, Okay, and yeah, temperature range is minus 40 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So that would definitely cover refrigerators and freezers.
0: Yep, 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 yep. Um, and people, people don't like, uh, people don't like, the, the things that, that they have to calibrate according to the, uh, reviews, good concept, but very inconsistent. This is a great concept, mm-hmm. but I'm concerned about the accuracy. I used 75% calibration pack to check the calibration. As soon as I bought the, both of the two I own, I bought them new from Amazon and right out of the box, they needed calibration to, uh, the degree of plus or minus seven degrees. He expected them to be highly accurate. But they weren't. So
1: Well, but here's the thing. If, if you are using this for science, yes, it needs to be calibrated. If you are using this to find out if there's a problem with your fridge, I don't think that the calibration matters so much because you're really more worried about trends.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's here's an interesting one, uh, Don. Did you know this? And this just a little uh, follow up from last episode. Great for show dogs. This uh, this app. <laughs> wait, wait. Where are
1: you reading from? This
0: is in the Amazon uh, uh, reviews. <laughs> okay, uh, February twenty seventh uh, from Renee S. Uh, great for show dogs. Um, I love this thing! Exclamation mark! I use this in my car to make sure my show dogs don't get too hot. <laughs> I leave the AC on, but I'm always worried about the AC malfunctioning or something. I'm not very tech savvy, but it easily installed the app on my phone uh, and set it to alert me if the temp in my car goes above 75 degrees. I tested it out and it worked great. I do wish there was a way to extend the range, more than 100 yards without Wi-Fi, but truthfully, if my dogs are in the car, I'm rarely out of range. (laughs) I've already had six of my friends purchase these. So there you go. Back uh, to right. this temperature hot. control, back to
1: hot, show dogs. Hot show dogs. Hot show, hot show dogs. Not hot. Cool show dogs. Cool show dogs. Cool show dogs. Yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. I actually think about this too, um, uh, just for you know riding around like one. It's it's getting less less hot now here in New Jersey, but riding around with the dogs and want to stop somewhere and don't, but can't stop because um, you know the the dogs are in the car. But you could do this. You could turn leave the air conditioning on and then you know put this in there and then uh, you could you could well you could you know know if your dogs are hot or cold. Um and then, then I also got the uh I also got the automatic app, uh which would tell me if somebody got into the car and started to drive away with my dogs, I suppose. Oh, so. that's good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, those are those are also those are good those are good applications here. Um and you would know if it was out of range then, right? <laughs> well, that's right. This would exp- this would explain the out of range reading. Yeah. <laughs> no no dogs, no car. Some, yeah. I mean, someone, someone took my dogs. Uh
1: all right. Where should we, uh, where should we go here? Uh, okay. So toxic compost, compostable bowls. So um, so this this is interesting. So this says, uh, please, uh, please uh, share all details freely. Um, uh, so listener Matt, we'll, we'll call him uh, deep, <laughs> deep Toxin or Deep Bowl. He says, hi, Food Safety Talk folks. I thought you might be interested in this article. Um, the bowls at Chipotle and Sweetgreen are supposed to be compostable. They contain cancer-linked forever chemicals, and so uh, this this is an interesting one. And, and I, my response to Matt is that uh, toxicology is not our wheelhouse, uh, but we'll certainly put this into show show notes. Um, wh- do you have any thoughts on this, Ben? Um, and while you're thinking, let me let me let me read. So the so the headline is. Um, Oh, pop up. Uh, the headline says bowls at Chipotle and Sweetgreen are supposed to be compostable. They contain uh, cancer-linked forever chemicals. I guess I just said that. Uh, but the, the subhead is testing by the new food economy reveals an industrial secret. Ooh, industrial secret. Ooh. Um, All fiber bowls contain PFAS, a troubling class of chemicals with no known half-life, even when they're certified compostable. It gets worse from there. Yeah. So,
0: so yeah. let me let me give you like so the only insight I have on PFAS, um, and then so this is from uh, was it per and polyfluoral alcohol substances? That's what PFAS is. Um, there's a whole bunch of um, stuff here in North Carolina about PFAS, and especially one co- component of this uh, called Gen X or one one sub class where is it here um and so i'm just gen,
1: gonna, gen x is the worst
0: gen x is the worst. gen x gen y although whichever one whatever it takes <laughs> uh so i'm gonna link to um uh i'll send you a link here to the gen x investigation so uh, how i know about pfas is is uh, related to um water uh related to water table and water systems. We've been talking about water today uh, and the discovery of Gen X in the Eastern part of the state. And so I I know I have a, uh, there's a colleague of mine here at NC state. uh, Her name is Jane Hoppin, who is doing a lot of the work um, related to, to, to Gen X and other PFAS and, and water. And, and it's one of these things where, Um, when I read this article, they, they talk about, you know, the companies, uh, claim that they didn't use or can't really claim that they didn't use PFAS. Well, it may be that these are coming from the fiber itself, that it's grown in water and we just don't know enough about how it gets there and what the effects are. (laughs) So that, that's the, that's the situation that I, that I'm thinking about. Um, and so anyway, we'll link to the, the Gen X stuff. Um, and, and it, um, the, so I know that the Jane has been doing, Jane and her group has, uh, has been doing, uh, monitoring of drinking water in the Wilmington area. And I think Fayetteville, North Carolina, um, and, and, and really, um, it, it, similar to what we were talking about earlier in the, in the podcast, it's a situation of uncertainty. It's like, yet yeah, it, um, it exists. What, what does it
1: mean? We don't know. And this, this just this is a, the power of Google. So you had mentioned uh, Jane earlier. Um, uh, you had said her last name. I didn't remember it, so I just typed into Google Jane NC State, and the second the second hit is Jane Hop at NC State. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's her last name. So yep. yeah. yeah, so we'll link to we'll link to Jane's uh, webpage. So thanks, thanks Jane for doing uh, for doing good work. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um,
0: all right. So toxic bowls to hot air dryers and. Uh, uh and uh and something else. And ears.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh. <laughs> Yeah, greetings from deep deep stack so so deep stack we, we avoided talking about pushing or popping anything off the stack so hopefully you have no comments <laughs> for us on that um, he says no reply necessary you're welcome to leave it out no we're not going to leave it out um, uh, please enjoy some hand washing adjacent news children who say hand dryers quote hurt my ears are correct a real world study examining the loudness of automated hand dryers in public places um, and uh, quoting from the study this study suggests that many hand dryers operate at levels far louder than their manufacturers claim, and at levels that are clearly dangerous to children's hearing. So <laughs> this, go go this go go get a toxic bowl and then walk into the bathroom and 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 blow your ears out. <laughs> right, and I so
0: true. <laughs> Um, also, I had two children. One of whom <laughs> would never ever go into a restroom at Target or a grocery store because of hand dryer loudness. It hurts his ears, and wow. he would, and, and like wouldn't go to the restroom. Like wow. we would have to go somewhere else. Yeah. So, wow. It, I mean, there you go. That's, I gotta like, set up for your kid.
1: Wow. That's that is that I had not. I had not I had not thought about this. This is this is so thanks thanks to Deep Stack and to and to uh Ben's sensitive child. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and uh and and this was uh, part of the reason why I had a sensitive ear my sensitive ear child is part of the reason why he had dirty hands for a while.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh that's good. That's you know, here's the thing. Why aren't you washing your hands, son? Well, sensitive the bathroom's years. too loud. <laughs> <laughs> sensitive ears, <laughs> Dad. Makes, you know makes, that makes sense. Makes sense. Yep. Makes sense. Um, all right. So, so this this is one um, uh, from listener Troy. He says, uh, share all details freely. Um, he is uh, um, He's from Australia And so I'll just read From his message I can call him Can B- you do it w- Can you do it With an Australian accent No <laughs> it's, a, it's a long Good day mate Good night, mate uh, It's a really long message um, uh, So I'm not going To attempt it uh, I'm going to try To skim here Fairly new uh, But avid listener Thanks Thanks, uh, thanks Troy For that um, Essentially listening To your journey In reverse But he switches back To the latest work The moment they drop That's a good Listening strategy Because it keeps you up to date with the current stuff but at the same time you're exploring our back catalog i worry a little bit that you're exploring it in reverse um but he is he is down under you know ben so it's he's upside down anyway so maybe when he listens in reverse it's like listening forward I don't know. Exactly. It's true. It's going, yeah, I think it's going uh, left-handed, left-hand well, first. Yeah, here's the thing. He's listening <laughs> backward, but to us it looks like he's listening forward. It's forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, this method has been an interesting lens to view uh, your podcast through. Thank you so much. Um, enough with my groupiness. No, no, please, Troy. We we, we do this for the groupies. Um, okay, so he is an environmental health officer in Australia, uh, and he's looking, this is great, so this guy's right in our wheelhouse, so looking for ways that we as regulators can influence and evaluate food safety culture and small businesses businesses. Uh, small businesses, usually 22 to 30 employees, um, uh, major, majority, uh, casual workforce. Um, he's been lis- listening and, uh, uh, reading, watching and listening to a lot about best practices for food businesses. Uh, his dilemma and biggest challenge is the structure of manufacturing businesses is very different than, uh, that in restaurants and the ability to influence as a variable. As a former chef, he understands how the fast paced environment of a kitchen can be, um, he also understands that chefs have, e- chefs have egos, um, and he would say that that can often be a barrier to the development of a strong culture. Um, he says, the organizational culture in a kitchen is different from that of a food manufacturing plant, for sure. Uh, further challenges are the divide between the back of the house and front of the house. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about this, and this is for sure, this is true. Um, so anyway, so he says, uh, the, the uphill battle for my team is that while the Australian government has identified the importance of Australia's foodborne illness reduction strategy, and he gives us a link to a PDF, which we will link to in, in show notes, they have not really identified that there is a significant difference in the adoption of good food safety culture huh. in manufacturers versus restaurants. And Ben, this is, this is something that I would think you're going to have a lot of comment on because you, you're the food safety culture guy and you're also the guy that that is spends more time uh, working with restaurants. Um, he says... Um, <clears throat> I'm a strong believer that if we can strengthen the food safety culture in these types of businesses, it will go a long way to reducing foodborne illness. Uh, he says, uh, "Fazans, the Food Standards Australia, New Zealand uh, group uh, has created some tools for businesses developing food safety culture. Um, he'd like to know uh, your thoughts on the use of these, especially in the small restaurant scene. Um, he, and he goes on again, um, uh, these, uh, uh, the people that work in these restaurants are, for, are CALD, they are from Culture and linguistically diverse background, which I've never, never heard that acronym before. That's a good. I acronym. Like yeah. um, uh, ben, I know you've done a lot of work in this space. I have a couple of questions. So, Ben, I will uh, let's let's. I want to spend good, a little bit way. of time on this because this uh, obviously Troy spent a ton of time thinking about this and writing us this message, and he, and he's really he's really set the stage very nicely. So so tra- so Troy has four questions for you, Ben. Um, w- first question: What are the key indicators that you Ben would focus on in in small in small business that you think would drive change to a better food safety culture.
0: Go. All right. Yeah. So go. Right. Um, so I, I think the the first thing is uh, getting a sense of who the leaders are within that small business. And so I'll, I'll reach into some of my my experiences um, in food service where um, a, a kitchen manager may not actually be the person that drives. What how that kitchen operates? Um, it can be um, maybe a sous chef who who is more seen as a leader in the in the process. And so, um, going way way back to when I started learning about um, what food service was like and started investigating food safety culture, uh, I you know I've talked about this on the podcast and talks before, but I, I volunteered as a dishwasher in a restaurant and. There is an owner of that restaurant. There is a, a general manager of the restaurant. There is a k- kitchen manager of the restaurant. But really, the guy who made all of the food safety decisions was was Dave, who was the executive chef. Um, <laughs> Dave Dave's, Dave was the man, um, and and it didn't really matter if we it, it, connecting with the with the general manager didn't matter as much as Dave's. Um, perceptions of what was clean and what was dirty and how he made decisions. And so the first, and I don't think that's a restaurant specific thing. I think um, understanding the organizational leadership structure and, and by leadership, I don't mean like the person that is, you know, visioning and putting strategy to the business. It's really, who are the people that everyone is learning from? on the front lines. I, so, and actually I'm going to give a call out to something we, I, you and I, um, we had a shared a group chat, um, about another, there's another food safety, uh, podcast, um, that, that I listened to. Um, uh, and it's, uh, from, from our, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, friend in, in real life. I don't think, I don't know if he listens to the show, but Peter Terramina. Um, and it's called like Aetna Consult- consulting food safety anyway did you listen to the uh, did you listen to any of it yet tom no i did not okay all right so i'm going to give you it's fine the um, uh there it is etna consulting i think is what it um and so anyway peter had dane bernard on um and who we who we absolutely know as well um and uh, dane said something in there or peter said something in there about um, companies that mature, they're just talking about business practices, companies that mature, their goal is to is to drive decision making about risk to the um, the furthest down the line to closest to the front line as possible. Right. Like and so that that phrase made me maybe me think about how we do food safety culture and, and where or where's a key indicator to me that like how far Like, how far from the top to the bottom it is where there are decision makers that are making food safety risk management decisions, correct ones or safe ones, that is an indicator to me. So, Dave... Right, like my guy Dave, he wasn't on the organization chart. He was like four levels down from the owner, but he really was driving the food safety, the food safety culture there, and they were listening to him because of his expertise. But he wasn't, he wasn't involved in purchasing or hiring. He was, he was really focused just on, um, you know, making sure good food went out and. And but uh, and designing the, the the dishes, but 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 also was leading that food safety piece.
1: Does that does that make sense on that? What that's one of those key indicators to me. Yeah, no, it's good. <clears throat> I mean, I'm just looking at the. We'll link to, to Peter's uh, podcast. Um, so it's a it's good. It's different than our show. Um, yeah, uh, there's only six episodes, so jump in now. Um, he's really he's got a really a nice a nice list of people that he's interviewed. And the first episode, um, he has his wife interview him. So episode one is, is Peter being interviewed on his own podcast um and then Dame Bernard Matt Taylor Jen McIntyre Bruce Tompkins Manon Sharma you know i there's a, there's a couple of names list missing from this list peter so if you do listen hey. i'm i'm a little i'm a little irritated at you that you didn't <laughs> that you didn't reach out to us because, because you know we can do podcasts. We,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and Peter, if you if you do listen, come on and <laughs> let us know. Come on out on ours. Oh, the, yeah, we're we are free free space. Uh, uh, more more food safety podcasts, the better. Well, as long as we're the best one. I as I, long I as know, we're, the best, I
1: mean. yeah. <laughs> we're we're the best in our format of, of ranking. <laughs> yes. uh, so so, so qu- question yeah. number, you ready for question number two I'm from ready, Troy? Okay. Yep. And you sort of already answered this, but do you think it's bit, yeah, best yeah. to firstly provide education? the proprietor of the business offer to support them uh, whilst whilst wow. while we would say in America uh, while they attempt to build and see what the culture looks like after six months, 12 months, et cetera. And I think you've so, already answered this but go ahead a,
0: a, yeah a little bit and I the only thing to, to um, put a, put a point on it is um, I don't know if it's education first. I think the first place is really to convince the proprietor of the business that food safety matters. Right. And and I don't like I, I wouldn't um, and that may just be my definition of education. It's more about how do you compel them to yeah. say this is important um yeah. and and that they may not have all the answers on how to manage it, and they need to look elsewhere uh for it, so yeah, yeah, but, but, it, yeah, but that's but, where I would start
1: yeah and 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 maybe yeah educate and maybe scare a little bit, right, like because they need to understand if they don't do this right, uh they could have sick customers and they could have you know become uh intimate with uh, with Bill marlar, um which <laughs> they don't want to do uh, <laughs> on, on any level. <laughs>
0: I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, a, it's very fetching.
1: <laughs> he's, a, he's a handsome man. Even when he snubs you, even when he snubs you at a at a restaurant in Seattle. Uh, did we talk about that on the podcast? I don't think we did. We did. Yeah. No. So, all right. So put, put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. Um, yeah. So uh, number three, how do you think that as a regulator we could best measure the food safety culture in a business? That's a tall order. Food, yeah. me- measure the food safety culture in a business in order to demonstrate the change for better or worse which has occurred by their action or inaction. So so while you think about how you want to answer that let me offer a perspective. So there is a concept That I, you know, I thought it was one of these stupid buzzwords, but I've come to believe something called active managerial control. And so what what active managerial control is, is that you see that the person in charge is actively managing the issue. And and this this most recently uh, came across my my my. You know, field of view, and it's not even, not even that recent. We wrote a paper on cooling in restaurants, and we looked at predictors of poor cooling, and and we and, and looking at you know various you know, and it had a bunch of data from different restaurants. And we're actually working on phase two of this work, which is which I am excited to, to 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 talk about at some point in the future. But the basic idea is that one of the most important predictors of whether a restaurant was properly cooling food is that somebody was paying attention to whether they were properly cooling the food and that sounds a little bit circular but but more than anything else the thing that drove good cooling was the fact that somebody was paying attention and monitoring the cooling rate of that food so so somebody needs to be engaged in actively managing the food safety in the restaurant and so rather than measuring food safety culture i would say like let's take it a little like one step removed maybe and say is there evidence that the that the manager is actively managing what's going on in that business in terms of food safety so don't measure the culture measure the what what the managers doing which maybe that is measuring the culture but anyway your thoughts Ben
0: yeah no, and and I am I'm, I'm right along the exact same lines as you're talking about and I think back to um, conversations that I had um, uh, over a decade ago with uh, Chris Griffith um, who was was then at um, the UIC University uh, Wales and Cardiff, which is now Cardiff Met. Um, and he wrote, we're going to link to a paper that he wrote called The Assessment of Food Safety Culture, which um, came out around the same time as uh, a paper that we wrote, Doug and I wrote on food safety culture, and also came out around the same time as um Uh, uh, Frank Giannis' book, Uh, Little Frank, um, known from Dubai Friday. Uh, And uh, this paper from 2010, uh, Chris refers to this issue as um, active managerial control being um, – where is it? Being uh, uh, wrapped up in – uh, the uh, confidence in in a management system, um, and so he he writes in here um, that it, within the UK, environmental health officers. In the risk rating of businesses, attempt to assess quote confidence in their management systems, and so that is kind of built into the regulatory world. And it is it's it's a step further than what we do um, within the food code, which is like you said, let's look at um, these specifics. Are you actually managing um, food safety, and and let's let's check off some of the those active managerial control boxes. The the UK says, okay, let's let's let let me wrap all of that together. And as a regulator who is who is um, uh, objective in this system, take all those indicators and say, "Do you have confidence that this uh, business here is able to manage food safety and he um, his work sort of uh, matched up that confidence with um, with outbreaks and with um, in, you know inspection results and, um, and, and and food safety culture and so that's that 's you know where where I would kind of kind of start is. As a regulator, can you come up with some criteria and maybe building on what the UK uses um, for their environmental health on um, uh, on saying, are you is this operator? Do I have confidence that this operator is going to handle food safety when I leave, or are they just really good
1: during this snapshot in time, or are they just really bad during the snapshot in time? Cool. All right. Next, next, and last question from Troy. <clears throat> If they don't take on board the education then to mandate food safety training and then start working with them and supporting them again with the thought that sometimes consequences uh, – that's not really a question. Um, so, yeah. So if they don't take on board the education then, then to mandate food safety training and then start working with them, supporting them again with the thought that sometimes consequences drive decisions. So I think maybe you've sort of answered that already as well. So what, what do you do if they're not receptive?
0: Well, so I, you know, I, I think that there's been some some decent work that. Um, the folks at CDC's SNet have, have published about, um, what happens when you mandate, um, food safety training, at least for managers and that, uh, it, you, you end up with less links to, um, less investigated outbreaks and, and better inspection scores. And so there, there is a, there's a benefit there. And, um, I, am reminded, and this is something that I'll totally steal from, from Doug, but I'm reminded by, um, by this every year as I go through, um, the mandatory training that I have as a hockey coach for, you know, 12 year old kids that, that is about 30 hours of training every year uh, that I pay for, right? Like as a, as a volunteer, this is, you know, it's, it's different from, you know, but I want to like, I, I say all those things because people in the food industry say um, I don't want to pay for this and and it takes too long and no one's going to do it. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm mandated to, to do this. Uh, and, and it really, um, we, we require, uh, training for people that are in charge of lots of things, and you know, coaching kids hockey included, uh, be, because we believe that it's going to matter in the collective, um, the, the collective mindset uh, uh, of what the what the organization, or what the community does, and I and I think that that. Um, I think there's value to, to mandating, uh, training. Um, and, and it's, and it's not value to everybody because there are going to people going to be people that go through that training and don't care, or they're going to click through what they need to. And then they're going to skip to a quiz and they're going to do what, you know, do whatever. Um, but they're going to be, it's, you know, it's probably got some sort of normal distribution, uh, on outliers that are really, really into it and outliers that are not into it all. But collectively we're moving the middle part forward by exposing them to um to training um over and over and i'm i'm supportive of that in in food safety um i think it it takes some of the pressure off the the regulators. Um, it takes some of the pressure off corporate folks. Um, and and I'll you know just talking in in, in, um, in in no no particulars, but there are lots of times where I'll hear from someone who is um, trying to do something within their business or something within their county and say, you know what, they I, it would it would go a lot further if it was coming if this message was coming from someone else, someone else, right? Like I'm here every day. And I beat them up enough, but if someone from the outside was giving them, making them do this training, and was giving it to them, then then you can be the bad guy, and we can we, and that's okay. Um, and so I think there's, I, I think there is a um, there there is a role for for mandated food safety training, and where yeah you know, wherever that is.
1: Yeah, and I just want I want to come back and underscore something that you said. So, so you take 30 hours of your time, you take money out of your own pocket to pay for hockey coach training because it's required because you want to go do this volunteer thing that you do. And so, yeah, I mean anybody that right. complains about food safety training, it's it's just, you know, they, they get no sympathy from you.
0: No, not at all. Not at all. And it's and it's kind of like I don't know, and at the end of it, I'm like, Oh, you know what I took, I, I learned four things that I didn't know before yep. about like things about coaching that I, that I could employ. Cause I'm going to be doing this for, for, uh, you know, uh, 200 hours over the next, uh, you know, whatever, four months. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it, you know, I don't, and, and it's almost like the, um, there's not, I don't have a lot of sympathy for folks who are like, ah, I, I, you know, posting restaurant scores is bad for business or whatever. It's like, well, lots of places have, have survived and they post restaurant scores. Mm-hmm. It's this, you know, same argument over and over again.
1: Yep. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, so yeah, so please, you, you've you got a couple of links uh, to send me there. So please, please do, please do do that. So, um, so next, um, <clears throat> Next question. Um, well, wait. Um,
0: what okay. do we got? Sorry.
1: Um, I'm, I'm losing my uh, I'm losing my place here. Um, uh, kebab feedback. So, um, A quick note to say I listened to episode 191 today on King Kebab's birthday, no less. And it was exceptionally entertaining and timely for me. I'm six weeks into a new regulatory-related job. And as I said at the first team meeting, I'm so happy I could burst. Everything Gordon shared about Kebab is what my new employer emulates, encourages, and increasingly uses uh, in the the quest uh, for alternative regulatory model. Um, uh, And we do all of this without using the overused, misunderstood, lip service term, food safety culture. Yay. <laughs> Ding. Um, it's like speaking another language Just because you repeat the same thing over and over Or louder doesn't have the effect Of the listener understanding uh, Let you know there are forward thinking Passionate regulators out there too I'm interested if you or your listeners Can suggest how a reg And we kind of already talked about this yeah, But, yeah. but, this but, but let's keep up. going yeah. um, How a regulator could objectively assess kebab Not only at a business level But zooming out at an industry level And potentially on an entire legislative system jurisdiction i.e. using positive metrics and kpis rather than traditional numbers of uh, foodborne uh, uh, investigations or uh, foodborne illnesses recalls morbidity mortality stuff Uh, here's a nice link on ethical business culture that one can draw many parallels to food safety culture uh, bandwagon on and uh, we will we will link to that as well and this is this comes from um, uh, somebody who is also another uh, australian uh, listener Uh, all the best keep up the good work uh, deep down under Um, and i think that's this is uh, another another Australian who has previously emailed us because she, she just emailed us directly rather than through uh, uh, rather than through the, uh, the the website so so thanks uh, uh, other other deep down under regulator listener
0: yeah, yeah. well and so one one thing I want to add to this and um, and I'll we'll say something that Gordon probably would have added here um, and for for uh, this listener is I don't know, like you know, when we talk about assessing food safety culture and building that into a regulatory framework, I don't know if that's that's always the right place to do it. I think this is a good spot for for auditors um, as well, right? Like this isn't just about um, what, how do we how do we change our regulatory impact? Um, I think we we need to do that sort of hand in hand. Which and auditors are I think looking at um, things like kebab more. Um, they're, they're able to do it in a way that's more in depth because they may only be focusing on that, uh, for, you know, one of their, one of their audits. Um, so, so let's not, let's not forget the role of auditors in this. Yeah, good. That was it. That was good. It. All right. Um, hotel
1: microbial food safety. Oh boy! So, this so, is where we are.
0: This is where we are, folks. Ass pennies.
1: <laughs> so this is the latest. Uh, have you listened to this week's Dubai By Friday,
0: uh, not they- all, not all of it. I got. I got. I, I got to the point where. Where Alex said, we, "I have lots of questions <laughs> for Doctor Don about my in hand cleanliness, yeah. yeah, in hospitals." So that's a, that's his. And I, I listened. Did you know? Did you listen? You probably did hear this, but in the after show for Dubai Friday, they have on their challenge a full
1: follow up challenge with you. Yes, uh, did, Do, I did. Doctor Don Day. I, I did. Uh, I did hear that. I did, they're yeah. just teasing me now at this point. But <laughs> yeah, no, I did. I did. I did hear that. Yeah. So they did a, a bit of a deep dive into hotel uh, safety. Uh, so welcome to the hotel safety talk portion of this podcast and so this this comes from um uh billy um uh, previous uh, emailer billy who i forget i forget what his code name is but we'll just call him uh, billy um deep hotel um, no it's a deep it's a deep deep uh, little chapin <laughs> deep
0: deep deep tape deep
1: tape. Um, and he and he and again and this is there is something about the people that that uh, are in our circle uh, either food safety or or extended food safety circle, uh, including folks that stay in hotels and uh, do another podcast uh, which you should definitely listen to uh, called Do By Friday, um, uh, and uh, so here there are uh, there are. Four questions uh, from uh, from Deep uh, Billy. <laughs> um, uh, risky or so, and and we'll I'll I'll ask you each of these questions. Okay, uh, we'll link to each of these uh, each of these links, uh, and then uh, and then and then I'll give you I'll give my feedback. So so but but we'll we'll do your answers first, Ben. So um, risky or not to take a bath in a hotel, and we will listen to uh, Condé Nast Traveler uh, website uh, article entitled "Why You Should Never." Take baths at hotels?
0: Yeah, not. I mean, not not risky. No, and let me let me categorize this. No riskier than taking a shower at a hotel, which I don't think is very risky at all. Um, you know, I, I think the thoughts on on a bath is, uh, you know, people are sitting in their own filth in a bathtub. Uh, I would say that your filth is also running down the drain in a shower. It's in the same spot. I'm. I I, I wouldn't eat out of the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is it, <laughs> I don't look at it as a good food contact surface. I wouldn't, I wouldn't process, I wouldn't uh, wash any vegetables in my bathtub. Uh,
1: but, but yeah, I would, I would say, I'd say not low, 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 low risk. Yeah, and I, I would say the same thing. Um, I uh, I am I am I generally take a shower in the hotel just because I'm a shower person, not a bath person. But I have I have certainly taken a bath in a hotel before, and uh, I would certainly I don't avoid it. So no matter what uh, Condé Nast says, and, um, and I will I will speak to this as a bath mm, person. I'm, mm. I'm I'll take a bath uh, three or four
0: times a week in my house. Mm. Uh, I don't. I don't take baths at a shower you, or, you, or at a hotel. You and yeah. John Roderick. You Me and John Roderick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Max. Max Demkine is yeah. a bath, bath guy with a with an iPad. Uh, <laughs> I, I that's what I. That's how I roll. Um, I don't do it at hotels because the the bathtubs are just like they're they're like little thimbles. They're it's like not enough water. Oh, it's not yeah. I, it's not yeah. So w- if I had a nice big bathtub uh, at a hotel and and I um yeah you know, i just gone for a, a workout and I'm, and i wanna sit in, in my own filth i would i would do that i wouldn't have any i wouldn't not do it because of risk reasons from a food, from a pathogen
1: standpoint yeah and I, I would say like the your workout thing reminded me so i would i would say the times when i do like a bath is i'm just feeling really sick and achy and maybe a little congested and yeah, yeah. there's nothing like a bath in those situations so um uh, next question Risky or not to jump in the hot tub, and and this is an article from Vice uh, with the headline: "How gross is the hot tub in my hotel or spa?"
0: So uh, this this is becomes a uh, environmental health uh, regulatory question for me. So if there was a hot tub in my room, which (laughs) which maybe like four times ever that's happened, and it's a little bit weird, and I've never, uh, I don't think I've ever taken one. I, 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 that that would be a place that, um, and it was like a, not not like, I'm not talking like a garden tub that's got th- this is like got water and chlorine in it, right? right? Like like a hot tub. I'm not yeah, talking it's, not, it's
1: like, not a tub that has like jets that you can. Right, yeah. Right. I, I will. I will often go sit in the hot tub uh,
0: at the hotel because, just like the um, the pool, it's it's regulated. It's part of that local environmental health uh, in many jurisdictions. Maybe not all, and sometimes it'll be posted and say, "Oh, this is not under local local public health." But um, you know, knowing the good folks in, in environmental health uh, uh, here in, in my state and and in a few other states, this is something that that you've got inspectors that are coming out to making sure that they're managing these. Directly, uh, and so yeah, I'm i fine with I'm fine with a hot tub.
1: Yeah, and I I have um, uh, been in public uh, hot tubs. It's not my cup of tea uh, <laughs> or <a> cup of <laughs> cup of poo, <laughs> as your point, as depending on your point of view. Um, you are reliant on the the establishment to manage that, right? And 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 also regulatory uh, local regulatory folks to inspect against that. I. I'm. I don't know. It just seems a little gross to me. So I'm. I'm going to pass on that. But uh, I. You know. I don't think. I mean. They're not. I mean. And there. There had. There have. have been outbreaks. Uh. Linked to. Linked to what? Water there parks, have. And so. Yep. So certainly. And you're right to think there might be some risk. But um. Yeah. So that. All right. So that's a one thumbs up and one thumbs down. Uh. And the next one. Um. R- and there's no link to this one. But this is just a question from uh, from Deep Billy. Um. Risky or not to shower without flip flops. And so what I will say is I routinely shower in hotels in my bare feet. I did. It just this week, I don't bring uh, flip flops uh, when traveling for the purposes of protecting my feet from uh, from the shower. Um, for a while, uh, when I was going to the gym at work to to swim or to work out, I don't do that anymore. Um, I did wear my uh, flip flops in uh, the shower at the gym just because I figured it was a reasonable risk reduction measure. I put them in my gym bag along with other things. Um, it's a you know it's it's different in an environment that. Um, is like it stays wet all the time versus an environment that that maybe dries out. So, um, so I, I think a relatively low risk. Uh, not not something that I do. Uh, how about you, Ben?
0: So this this one's close to home for me. Mm. Uh, so I, I shower. This, here comes here comes some Canadian insight. Um so I I Donna I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this but
1: I play hockey uh I that's hockey. the that's wait that's the one that you do on ice with the thing that's not a ball right it's a flat, right. That's right. flat with thing
0: the, with a cue ball from uh it's a little little white ball a, a golf ball no uh so so I I am uh I will sweat uh, I, I you know I use my my Apple Watch uh, during my during my hockey games uh, and I'll I'll look at my uh, calories burn and I'll I'll burn anywhere in between seven hundred and a thousand calories over an hour and twenty minutes of playing hockey. Uh, I know um, I get the, I get the reports. That's right. At like midnight, you get like I <laughs> oh, just completed a workout. Uh, I, uh, I will shower. I maybe, uh, a handful of times since I was 16 years old, have I not showered after a hockey game? Like the shower wasn't working. And I, um, this is different. I'm like maybe one of one of three or four guys on my, on my hockey team that'll shower, uh, after, after every game. And it's just like, I can't, I don't want to put my clothes on. I'm soaking wet. I just, I need to like have, you know, have that shower. And I have showered, um, continuously, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like over. Just, I'm still in shower right now. No, over the last, you know. 25 years, never, ever once using flip flops in in these showers, and I'm talking about in some of the most like grossest showers that you've ever seen. Um, people don't clean them, but I do. I, I I'm in the same situation that you, that you are um, with with risk. What I'm looking for is standing water, and what I'm trying to do is stay out of that standing water. And I'm I really and this is this is how I manage it. I spend a lot of time washing my feet in. <laughs> <And, laughs> So I, because I don't, I think that the flip flops don't really do the protection Mm. that, 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 that you think, or that I think, right? Like, because there's, I can still walk through that water. I can still splash it on my, uh, on my feet. Um, I would not with those flip flops you know, my hockey bag, I take stuff out to dry it. I feel like with flip-flops, I just would be constantly like inoculating it with fungus and not like, I'm not going to go hose them down after every time I play. So I'm like, you know what, all I'm going to do is just make sure that I spend time washing my feet and use soap and then dry them off. And, and that's how I manage it. But I will shower. I'm, I'll shower like a madman in, in
1: dirty, dirty showers, Don and and so in your you know 25 years of continuous showering um, yes. how many times have you got a, a foot uh, fungus like twice maybe but i mean i mean we we're, we're
0: talking very it's not a it's not a constant issue that i have um and i i and probably not no times in the last 10 years like like not you know it's never it, it was something that that happened when i was um when I was younger for whatever reason, but yeah, it's not a, not, not a constant thing. And I think probably because like at some point I just started, you know, this paying attention to my feet. This sounds so weird. (laughs) I just started, yeah. I just started washing my feet a lot. Okay. So So that's how, yeah. Welcome to foot safety talk. Welcome to foot. Yeah. To weird foot fetish safety (laughs) talk. Uh, uh, but anyway, but I'm, yeah, I've got lots of, lots of experience with, with this and I'm N equals one, right? Like maybe right. I am, right. I risk, I don't know, uh, for this, but I, I haven't seen the, uh, the issues that, um, that others have talked about. And, uh, yeah. And I, and I'm, I'm like, like I said, I'm taking, I'm taking public showers twice, three times a week. I, I mean, I shower at the gym too. I'm like, I'm all over this
1: place. showering showering cool. showering shower, man. And then finally, uh Ben, uh, do you do you store your luggage in the bathtub? And this is an article from um uh, apartment therapy yeah. uh, which is, has the headline This Entomologist Has a Travel Warning. Always put your suitcase in the hotel bathroom. And I guess this is the, the uh, like bugs. this is a bed bug thing, right. right? Like the bed bugs won't won't jump. No, I don't. And Yeah, me and neither. I'm
0: also, yeah. I'm also not um I, uh, I'll check for bed bugs uh, sometimes, and sometimes I'll forget to. And uh, I also have not um, experienced anything. Uh, bad. I, I do. We do have friends who I won't for um, uh, privacy and OPSEC reasons. Who I won't out them. But uh, we have friends who through hockey who had a terrible bed bug experience at a at a hotel uh, in uh, Ocean City, Maryland, where they um, they had bed bugs and basically had to throw out their luggage. They didn't mm-hmm. even bring their luggage home. Uh, but yeah, I've never, never really experienced it. So no, I don't throw my, I, you know, I'm too busy uh, taking baths in the bathtub,
1: Don, to <laughs> Well, and again, I, I will, I will uh, anonymize this, but I was traveling this week, um, and was with, um, several people, uh, all of whom I think, you know, um, and, and, and most recent, and one of them, a retired CDC person, um had a ground uh, we were we we're at a hotel visiting the, the the company and uh some of us had ground floor rooms some of us had third floor rooms and one of the people in a, a ground floor room um had the sewage back up into Ooh. his bathtub so here's the thing if he had been storing his luggage in the bathtub <laughs> it, it would have been it would have been uh, covered in sewage so but no no bed bugs no bed bugs <laughs> <laughs> yeah less less oh. bed bugs more sewage um yeah so good so thank you thank you billy for those great questions um and we and we do and you know i mean this is obviously this is something that uh, comes up it comes up on a regular basis we talked a couple episodes ago on the episode with with daniel jalkut about man's assumption um and so uh yeah so so a health a hotel safety talk is uh definitely uh one of the things that we talk about here on this show um okay so we're almost done i think with listener feedback Yep. So let's, let's cruise on through, um, uh, he says, uh, hello friends. You can read my message, but not my name as quote, the views and opinions included in this email belong entirely to the author and do not represent any company or, or entity. So, uh, thank you, uh, deep entity for that. Um, uh, while I didn't have the chance to attend your talks at IAFP, uh, Dr. Schaffner, I did get a chance to listen to them online after the conference. Thank you for that, uh, listener. So, um, uh, I, a while back, i uh, uh, yeah, th- uh, I mentioned a while, a while back, I mentioned that I was pondering whether to work in uh, revenue management or food safety. Thanks to your inspiration, I'm happy to let you know that I have accepted a role as a safety specialist. It's only week two on the job, but it sure feels like the right decision. Five years ago, I was by accident put in charge of the food safety program for our local unit, which is where I learned about Food Safety Talk. From there, I joined IAFP and CFP, where I was able to become active and ask interesting questions, to which Ben helped find the answer during a roundtable discussion. Thank you for making Food Safety fun. Fun and palatable. This just makes my day. I mean, here's a person out there who uh, stumbled onto food safety, stumbled upon to us, and um, maybe is doing a doing a pretty f- cool, fun thing now um, that that they are enjoying uh, because of us, and uh, that just makes me feel so good.
0: It's yeah, it's super cool and. Um, Hopefully, like three years from now, this individual doesn't say, "Oh, I can't believe you guys got me into this," and uh, I'm going back to to other things. No, I, no, it was very. This is very nice to get messages like this every once in a while. So, agreed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Good. And the and the last piece is just uh, uh we responded to uh, Deep Billy um, on Hotel Safety Talk, and uh, he did uh, respond to say, um, "I found that when I teach produce food safety, sometimes these related not related examples really drive the point home." Uh, Definitely, on the same page about luggage in the bathtub um, uh, and then he again he gives a, a a shout out to you, Ben, to be safe uh, with the hurricane, so which we 've already talked about so we've clo- we've closed all the loops here on this so thanks uh, thanks to all the listeners for for the feedback and for uh, uh, talking to us about anything and again again i, I agree with I agree with uh, Deep Billy on this one. it is really um uh, you know, germs are germs, right? And whether you're talking about a hospital or a hotel room or uh, a food contact surface in a kitchen, it's, it's good to just think about these things generally um, because, you know, it, the, the same principles apply. So it's, right, all, right. It's, all, it's all food safety talk as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's good, it's good stuff. And it, and it like, you know, like D Billy says it, these examples are things that people can relate to. And it's, it's like those myths and, um, you know, weird trivia, people want to talk about it. So anything that gets them talking that you can then close the circle back towards produce food safety or whatever is you is you're, you're doing, I think is, I'm all about it. Um, and and those analogies, you know, we, um, we use them uh, in in classes that, that we teach um, wh- you know one of the one of the things um, that sticks with me on this um, not so much related to, to hotels but one of my one a former postdoc um, who was with me uh, we were sort of like trying to figure out how to explain biofilms and mechanically removing those uh, in washwater tanks a while ago, and she's like, you know what? It's just like that, like plaque buildup on your teeth. You know, you have to brush your teeth to to get that out and. And then you can use Listerine or sanitize it afterwards. And and I was like, man, that is a great analogy. And she used it in a training. And like 40 producers, heads – like, you know, their eyes lit up. And they're like, oh. And you see everybody like licking their teeth with their tongue and be like, oh, do I have – <laughs> oh, I got perfect. some fake film. Yeah. And I was like, damn, yeah. that was great. Yeah. Like, that was amazing. So, yeah, using these these little – like. Um, the, these little stories
1: or these little analogies uh, connect with people. So yeah, great, great job. Yeah, and so speaking speaking of this, let's let's talk about this. This this is something from uh, almost exactly a year ago. And so I follow uh, for, I follow Corey Doctoro on Twitter, and Corey is a prolific. Uh, Twitter and and blogger from way back in the day, um, and uh, he retweets stuff from years ago, multiple years ago. And so this came up as an anniversary. He retweeted this story, which has the headline: "Airport security trays are filth reservoirs oh, yeah. of infectious agents." And so I, this has become my my go to thing on Twitter. I'll screen cap the headline and I'll correct it. Um, and, and and I crossed out uh, airport security trays and I wrote um, everything. <laughs> Is uh, a reservoir for infectious agents, right? So we we find. Guess what? We find infectious agents everywhere we look. Um, but I will let me let me read to you from this article, which is just, it just kind of got me irritated, right? Um. And this is from uh, an article that was published, again, probably a year ago in BMC Infectious Diseases, uh, but we'll read from from Corey's post. Uh, in in uh, deposition of respiratory virus pathogens on frequently touched surfaces at airports published in BMC Infectious Diseases, a University of Nottingham team revealed that the airport security trays they swabbed at Helsinki Airport contained more infectious agents than the airport's toilets. Uh, in particular, the trays in particular, the trays at the x ray machines harbored infectious viruses, mostly rhinovirus and influenza. These were not present in the toilets, so stop right there, right of course not because they you, know, you know you know what you find in the toilets is you find stuff that comes out of people 's ass right These, <laughs> this comes out of people 's noses po Jesus Jesus Christ, oh. <laughs>
0: Uh, Stuff that comes just, out of people's ass.
1: well, yes, it's a like toilet. It's There's a all t-
0: these pe- found all these pennies <laughs> in my floating in my toilet. It's weird.
1: Oh God, I knocked over my microphone. I got so excited. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, well, uh, absolutely, and and so so my my uh, security tray that's supposed to keep me safe. From terrorists, not from <laughs> right, like like just the headline of like it's supposed to be keeping you safe. It's for security. Well, it's not for rhinovirus virus security. Also, try not to aspirate
1: your your tray. Right? Also, like also when you take your things out of the tray, don't lick it. Go you wash your hands. Right? Yeah. Ugh. Um.
0: Results. Did you read the the uh, um, paper itself from uh, BMC Infectious Diseases? I, I just pulled it up. I did not look at it. Nucleic acid. Of, I'm reading from the abstract as as we do. Nucleic acid as of at least one respiratory virus was detected in nine out of ninety surface samples, so ten percent, including a plastic dog toy in the children's playground. Why was? Oh, oh sorry, not a plastic. I re- I was like, why is there a plastic dog toy in the children's playground? No, it was a plastic toy dog. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Got it. Well, dog toy, toy dog. Toy dog. State yeah. of a uh, uh Hand-carried luggage trays at the security check area, four out of eight. 50%. 50%, Ben. 50%.
1: percent half,
0: half of all security trays, Don, are, mm-hmm. are making you sick. We should. We, you know what? We, you and I should just go write headlines. Uh, the buttons of the payment terminal. The pharmacy. Uh. Well, you know. So this. This What's is pharmacy. Who's who's got a pharmacy at the airport? Which well, airport is it? <laughs>
1: Well, Helsinki, I think. Helsinki, but, but here's the thing, Ben. This is an, so. This is an interesting one, and so the 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 and you can probably you'll probably be able to tell from the context here. So the the meeting that I was at this week, uh, we talked a lot about sanitizers, hand sanitizers, surface sanitation, and about hot points and touch points uh, in in restaurants, um, you know, and and how you might control that. Um, and and there is there is something to this right like there are uh, there are hot and again I've handled a couple of manuscripts for AEM on hospitals and and, and touch points in hospitals so there there is something here to this right, right like right. there and and touch screens in particular right like how do we how do we deal with touch screens you see them everywhere I rail about the ones at Newark Airport I sat down in front of one that has you know encrusted with food debris. Um, we we have, we carry these information phones around in our pockets and you know and we maybe they get wiped off as we they go in and out of our pockets but we're touching them with our fingers. People, heaven forbid, Ben. People use their smartphones um, in the in the toilet um, where, where, where things are coming
0: out. Of your, well, in the restaurant I'm never I'm never using it directly in the
1: toilet. Well, it depends <laughs> on how you define toilet, water closet, true, 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 true. WC. Yeah. Um but yes. So um so of course, you know, these surfaces have microorganisms on them. And 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 w- and what's the appropriate way to, to to deal with it, right? So if you have a touchscreen in a in a in a restaurant so that you're increasingly being used to order things, what's that restaurant's policy on how you clean and disinfect that? Now you could spray that down with a surface sanitizer, but you know, I if you and we should find what where Apple has the instructions for how you clean iPads. I suspect it's not using any kind of a cleaner. I suspect it's using a uh, uh, water and, and, and a cloth. Um, and so uh, so so how does how well does water and a cloth work at... Well, so first of all, what's the level of contamination? And then second of all, what does the, the manufacturer-recommended cleaning do to remove that contamination? And then finally, what would, if you were to use some sort of a surface sanitizer, what would that do to the quality of the, the touchscreen interface, right? And these are all open questions and they're kind of interesting questions. I mean, as much as we love to make fun about this stuff, I mean, I think, I think some of the these are, are interesting questions that that, that then again and the, our world is changing right our food food service uh, world is changing we, you see the you see these at Panera right they have touchscreens so uh, what's the what's the best solution <clears throat> excuse me I think I got a rhinovirus from the airport oh um, no stop stop looking the security trays yeah so um, I think honestly part of the solution and maybe a good part of the solution is to have hand sanitizer. At the touch screen. So yeah. that, it, so that if, you, if you're worried about getting something from your hands to the screen, you put the sanitizer on first. If you're worried about getting something from the screen to your hands, put the sanitizer on after. afterwards. Yep. That may be the best solution because we know that these hand sanitizers, are, uh, these, these you know uh, Purell and the like, right, um, uh, are formulated to work on hands uh, versus these screens, which maybe huh. are less likely. But, of course, that relies on the customer to do the intervention rather than the, the restaurant. So anyway, do you have any thoughts on this?
0: Well yeah, and so I would I, I like I like that thought. I, I think I would add in, let's also put a, a restaurant intervention, say once an hour, once every four hours, whatever it is. Like you you decide from your risk management side of things, have someone go to those touch screens and spray them with some quad sanitizer or some alcohol based sanitizer, whatever it is. And and so you've got both, right? Like you're you're trying to take whatever's on there off. Um, but then you've got this secondary um, way and I, I I like the way that you that you uh, categorize this as you know you've got something because what we're really worried about is the hands, not the not the screens. So let's manage the hands um, alongside of it. Yeah, I, I think right. that's good. Yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Um, and you know, here's and we we you and I have talked about these types of um, studies before. Um, I, I lost the um, my my link to this, but I mean, right? We're trying to answer a question that that's are, are there bacteria on things? Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Assume that there is. Right.
0: Right. Um, uh, uh, is it, is it harmful? Uh, I mean, could be, could be, but are, right. But are we going to answer the question by question by uh, running PCR on like a total of 40 things or 50 things? It's not, you're not going to answer the question, right? Like, like, so this, this is, we we're using PCR surface swabs, um, looking for PC- for looking specifically for influenza and uh, and other um, respiratory viruses. You know, so so we find the DNA. Is it could could I find nucleic acid on these surfaces uh, from uh, unviable or non-viable viruses? Absolutely. Right, we're not even answering that question on on risk. We're just saying, can I, yeah, finding nucleic acid doesn't t-
1: tell me a whole lot. Tells me well, tells me enough. more than not finding it, right? Fair enough. <clears throat> yeah, uh, and, and yeah, and of course, I mean, I, I could have predicted these results, right? Like if, yeah. so, and again, not to bash on. BMC infectious diseases. But honestly, if this had come to me for consideration as an editor for AEM, I would have considered editorial rejection because it's like, it's like, just, yeah, it's duh, so of course, you of course you're going to, I mean, it's good. People should publish this stuff, but it's not, it's not cutting edge stuff, right? It, yeah. it doesn't, and it doesn't really tell us like, there's no, there's no insight here. Like why, why were those, uh, uh, products more likely to have the contamination, right? Like right. where are the, what are the high risk areas and what does it have to do with high touch? What's anyway, so there, there's a lot of really good science you could do around this, but, and yeah. this is maybe a first step, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a little silly.
0: Well, if you get a paper like that, maybe you should just suggest that they try to publish it at BMC infectious diseases. <laughs> cause, cause I hear they're publishing those. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um hey, so uh due to uh e coli and water and
1: stuff, um I kind of have a heart out at eleven now yep uh, well, I, and I always had a semi hard out because ah. I have a lab meeting so um, and uh, I, I'm texting here with uh, with Caitlin Kasuli, who says she's planning on joining our lab meeting from Michigan um, uh, and uh, I mentioned that I was doing a podcast so uh important cutting cutting uh you know breaking news here, uh, Ben Caitlin says hi.
0: <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, tell her right back at you. Hi.
1: Uh, he says back at you.
0: Yeah, perfect.
1: All right, <laughs> right well good.
0: I think that's a show. Well,
1: good luck. Good uh, luck fixing E. coli and water. Uh,
0: thanks, and hopefully we're not we're not even uh, thinking about E. coli and water. Maybe maybe this is over. Maybe there's 90 different results that'll come in today, and it, and it was a hey, uh, false negative,
1: well, false let's, positive. Let's, false. let's let's definitely uh, plan on um, talking about that on the next show
0: absolutely all right thanks uh thanks for letting me uh rant and bring you my uh, my problems and we have finally caught up in listener feedback and talked like about a you know maybe not a big outbreak that was happening but something in real time so i yeah. like checked all, all of our boxes today so all right uh i'll talk to you later all right bye-bye bye-bye
1: So that one, this one is mine. Yep, I sent you a few. Yeah, I got stories. them. I got them all. Yep, yep. I got. I got. I got all your titles. I got a bunch of other titles. I got all your links. Cool. Um, do, what should we? When should we do this again?
0: Okay. So, so we are doing one on the twenty fourth, the live one. Yep. And then I'm away, and I think this is why we did it today. I'm yep. away. Um, from
1: the 13th through the 24th, me too. I'm, I'm in, I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're, so we're, uh, w- so we're all right. So we'll next time we'll talk and we'll see each other. We'll be, uh, at Rutgers.
0: Yeah. Unless you, um, d- so I did have some time open up on
1: the 13th in the middle of the day, but that I couldn't remember what your schedule was. I'm flying to, we're flying to Portugal that night. Oh, so well. what, what time do you want? Could you do it?
0: I could do it, um, it looks like, in between 11 and 4. Okay, so let's say 11. Okay, perfect. That's bonus food safety talk for those who are listening. Because it was uh, unplanned, but yeah. Uh, So September 13th at 11. Yep. Perfect. Uh, Oh, wait, wait, let me make sure, hang on. Let me, let me... There's I gotta, I gotta actually see this on my, it may be, it may be noon that I can do it. Okay. It's noon. It's noon. Okay. Noon till, yeah. I have noon till four open. Okay. So. Yeah.
1: I just, I gotta get to the dogs to the, to the kennel, but that uh, noon to two still works.
0: Perfect. All right. It's in the, it's in the, uh, it's in the thing. All
1: right. It's a, if it's the thing, it's in the thing. Sounds good. All right. Uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.